Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. Well, hey, it's great to be back with you. Thanks to Wendell Full, the better looking twin. If you missed last week's message, you don't know what I'm talking about, but you should go back and watch it. Wendell did a great job talking about temptation. He was personal. He was vulnerable. I really appreciated what he had to say. Today, we're continuing our series through uh, the book of James, looking at a faith that works. I'm going to read from James chapter 1, uh, verse 19. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. If you're comfortable, I invite you to join me in a quick word of prayer. Father, this is your word and this is your truth. Father, you are an authority uh, in our life as brothers and sisters in Christ. So today we come to you and ask that you would speak to us through the truth of your scriptures, which you stir up inside a desire to follow you and that that desire would transfer into obedience. Help us where we're struggling to trust you. Help my words to be clear today so that you can be glorified. And I pray these things in your son, Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm a, I'm a girl dad, and I'm proud to be a girl dad. Never thought that I would be a girl dad, but I've got three daughters, three, six, and eight, Rose, Clover, and Lily. And being a girl dad helps you appreciate some of the mysteries of life. For example, one of the mysteries of life is the purse. And I've observed that the art of pursing starts at a very young age. That before my girls leave the house, they have, you know, things that they'll just collect in their little bag. You know, and I'm like, we're, we're just going to the grocery store. We'll be back in 60 minutes. We're not going camping in the Sierra Desert. You know, it's going to be just fun. No, no, no. We got to go. We got to collect this and everything. You know, we open up our kids' backpacks and it's like, oh, that's where that went. So then it transfers into adulthood and... You know, my wife is a magician. You know, it's amazing what she can just pull out of this thing. And I'm like, oh, no kidding. We were at Beacon Skiff recently, and uh, one of the kids that were playing, someone else's kids scuffed up their knee, and my wife's like, nurse, nurse Kirsten to the rescue. Oh, here, I got this. I'm like, you're MacGyver. You know, you've got all of this kit to, to, to save people. we got, like, superpowers. It's, it's, it's amazing. But I've also been around long enough in my household with, with my, my wife and kids that it starts with a purse, and, and then you graduate from the purse and this happens when you have kids to the backpack. Now my wife carries, you know, the backpack wherever where she goes. And it's like, well, you know, if there's ever the apocalypse or the end of the world, then we're going to be just fine because you've got everything in there. My concern is at some point, you know, we're going to show up to a restaurant and it's going to be the five of us and I'm going to have this. 
And they're going to say, oh, are you guys traveling? No, no, no. This is my wife's purse. Uh, this is, uh, she's now graduated. She's at the senior level. Everything that is important belongs in here. So will that be a party five? No, no, no. It's a party of six. The five of us plus this guy right here. <laughs> we love accessories. We are a culture that loves accessories. And you know what? It's not just, you know, the purse. Uh, let's, let's be honest. Uh, some of us have six or seven remotes to operate your entertainment system, the Roku, the Apple TV, the sound bar, you know, the, the, the satellite, the cable thing. I mean, it's crazy. It's like seven. It's like, okay, I need this one for that. You know, we love accessories. Accessories help us enjoy life. And maybe it's not purses or remotes. It's, hey, it's for you. It's tools. It's like, do you really need 14 hammers? It's like, oh, yeah, of course. We got a hammer for this and we got a hammer for that. We are a culture that loves accessories because they help us enjoy life. But what accessories can't do is they can't explain life. You see, today there's a, there's a question that we want to wrestle with uh, that, that, that speaks to some of life's biggest questions. You see, the accessories in our life uh, can help us enjoy things, but they can't explain why is there something and not nothing. You know, how did I get here? Uh, the accessories in our life can't help us understand whether our life has purpose and meaning and, and how we should live our life with matters of morality. And what happens when we die, when we breathe our final breath? Those accessories are not an authority on matters that matter most. And today, James, who is Jesus' brother, is going to help us think through this question. Is Jesus your accessory or your authority? Is he just simply something in your life that helps you enjoy life? Or, more than just the one who has answers, he is someone that you answer to. You see, as we unpack the faith that, we, that is described in the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that faith is seeing Jesus as an authority, that faith is, is more than simply knowing what God wants us to do, that, that faith is trusting him enough to do it. So let's start here in, in verse 19. Uh, James says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. So there's a relationship here. There's an affection. And he's speaking to those that have already placed their faith in Jesus. And he says, take note. You know, pay attention. Lean into what I have to say next. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And so James is pointing out, yeah, does, does, does God get angry? Sure, but the type of anger that he's going to talk about is different, and I'm going to get to that. But let's just stop here for a moment, because if you're watching today and, and you're in the camp of saying, I don't see Jesus as an authority in my life, what I want you to see is that there are some things that you already agree with God about. You know, I would venture to say that your life would look differently if more people in your life were, were quick to listen and, and slow to speak and slow to become angry. I mean, this is just good advice that if, if humanity embraced this, our day to day would be that much uh, more enjoyable. And how many of us have mulligan moments in our life, the do-overs that we, you know, aspire to, to experience? If I could go back in time and, and, and have that conversation again or, or, or approach that relationship differently, I would. How many of those mulligan moments are connected to anger? So, so let's talk about this word anger or, or angry here. You see, James isn't describing an emotional outburst. What he's describing is a slow burn. 
Uh, when I was born, I was born in Brockton, Massachusetts. Crazy story. I was born in the same hospital as my father-in-law. So crazy how years later in life, God brought you know, those two worlds together. But after I was born in Brockton, Massachusetts, my dad was in the Navy. And so we, we went across the pond and my dad was uh, stationed in London. So I lived there the first five years of my life. And so I uh, can't give blood to this day. My freshman year in college, I went to go give blood and I couldn't because they said something about mad cow disease, which probably explains why I am the way that I am. Kidding. But uh, when you're born in the UK, they don't give you a bottle of milk. They just hand you the, the teacup and the saucer. And so I grew up on tea. I love Earl Grey tea. And when you make tea the right way, you put the kettle on the stove and you let the water boil and then the steam comes up and you hear that whistle. It's that slow burn. Well, I want to suggest that there's many of us that are watching today, and I think we have this in common, that are experiencing a slow burn in our lives right now. A slow burn, that boiling politically, uh, economically, socially. There's a boiling going on inside. And, And the longer this goes on, the hotter you're going to get. And isn't it true that it's hard to think clearly when we feel strongly. Maybe you've got this figured out, but I find it difficult to be, you know, quick to listen and and slow to speak when I'm angry. In my experience, anger gets in the way of healthy conflict. Anger gets in the way of progress amongst humanity. And so James is writing, addressing this issue, and he's not just telling us what the problem is. He's got a solution to help us solve this tension. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Uh, If you're you're watching or listening to the podcast later in the week, uh, are you an HGTV fanatic? I enjoy a little bit of HGTV. But, you know, when you watch some of these shows, it's like putting a child in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory and saying, don't think about chocolate. A kid's going to go into that and say, oh, there's sugar everywhere. It's amazing. Well, when you watch HGTV for 60 minutes, it's like, don't think about the things that you don't have. It's like, are you kidding me? I watch it for 60 minutes. I'm like, we should blow out that wall. We should redo this and we should redo that. It's like, well, we can't afford it. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's just money. But what I appreciate about this, these shows is they're really like a soap opera. I, you know, this is probably, you know, embarrassing to admit, but when I was in my junior high years, I watched a few soap operas with, with my mom. It was a, a building moment, and there was, I forget, I think it was like General Hospital or something, and for some reason I got hooked on the storyline, and, and it was just fake drama and fake tension. And that's what, what happens in these shows, especially when they get to the moment where they say, you know, what's behind the wall? Will there be mold? Because if there's mold, your budget's blown because you got to get, you know, get rid of all of it and, you know, how, how hardcore it is. But you got to get rid of all of the mold, right? You can't get rid of, if you don't, then it's, then it's going to come back. And, and similarly, James is saying there's something that you need to get rid of all of it. He says specifically, I need to get, I'm suggesting that you get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And so you, you might agree with Jesus that you know, listening more and, and being angry a lot less is something that's just good for humanity. But there might be things that you disagree with Jesus on. You, know, you would say, I don't think I'm going to allow Jesus to be an authority in my life when it comes to matters of morality. And, 
if, if you're listening and, and you wouldn't say that you're a Christ follower today, I wouldn't expect you to have Jesus be an authority in your life on issues of, of morality. But I also want you to know that James isn't writing this to skeptics. He's, he's, remember he said, I'm writing this to brothers and sisters, my dear brothers and sisters. You see, he knew that Christians like myself and like some of you would have a hard time with what James has to say next. He said to humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. See, so many Christians today are experiencing the slow burn when it comes to what God has to say about money, when it comes to what God has to say about marriage, when it comes to what God has to say about gender and sexuality or loving our enemies, or, or caring for the poor, or, or racism, or forgiveness, and, and conflict resolution. It could be said that the church is like a tea kettle right now. And, and the whistle <laughs> is sounding. The other argument that, that some people in my life would say is, well, humanity's evolved. Shouldn't the Bible? Shouldn't the Bible evolve with culture over time? And the problem with this argument is that you're making it sound like this is a 2021 problem. And in actuality, 1,500 years ago, St. Augustine said, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but <laughs> yourself. In other words, the gospel is your accessory, but it's not your authority. And here's why it's important to not mess with what was given to us thousands of years ago, and to keep it as is. James says, this can save you. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can, what? Save you. This is a, the matter of life and death. Suggesting that we modernize the pages of Genesis through Revelation is like a surgeon going into surgery with contaminated tools. Like someone got into the room beforehand, was coughing and sneezing and touching everything. The doctor didn't know. He goes in, you know, puts the gloves on, opens you up, and, and, and goes to work. It's deadly. It's deadly. Because this, the scriptures, it's like, a, it's like a sword is what it says. And it judges our hearts, our thoughts, and our minds. And it, and it points us to Jesus. It's like that compass that always points north. You know, we can't contaminate it. We can't distort it. it it's true. We're not going to change it just because life's changing. Life's been changing for many, many years. And I say that, and I want you to know that this is hard. I've got that people in my life that I love and that I care about that want nothing to do with Jesus because of what James says next. When he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but to do what it says. It's It's personal. People, we've lost friendships. We've lost family members. Uh, family member uh, gatherings are, are awkward because of what the scriptures say and, and trying to do life with people that think differently when it comes to matter of, of morality. But, but we can't get past what James says here. He says, do not merely listen to the word. He says, and so deceive yourselves, but to do what it says. You see, there, there's two camps that we often drift, you know, back and forth into. There's the, the knowers of the word, know the word people. You're the researchers. You love fact checking. You love going to the classes and the studies and the, and, the, and, the, and the commentaries. You love all of the depth and you love to go deeper and deeper and deeper. 
You're, you're, the, you're in the know the word camp, and that's a good thing. <laughs> Someone once said, you know, you see that, that guy over there? Well, he, he's, got a, he's got a seminary degree, you know. And uh, as you teach, he's got the Greek open, making sure that you're, you're in line as, as you teach. He's, he's going through the Greek. And I said, that's too bad because I'm speaking in English. <laughs> yeah, second group, the second group of people are um, do the word people, do the word people. It's like, give me the application. I don't need education. Just tell me what to do. You know, I just, I just give me the steps, make it, make it simple and practical and clear. And, and application's important. Doing the word's important, but you can't do the word without knowing the word. And once you know the word, you need to do the word. <laughs> Personally, I struggle with, you know, the day-to-day. I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. When it comes to eternity, I'm good. I know nothing can separate me from the love of my Savior. And yet, day-to-day, I'm not ready to invite Jesus in to speak to some issues in my life. It's like, all right, you know what? You go over there. I'll do my thing. You do your thing. I struggle with that. In fact, let me ask you this. Which of these describe you? Would you say this? Would you say that I, I agree with Jesus whenever he agrees with me? And I don't know if you do this. I, I do this. Sometimes if someone disagrees with me, I'll go and find people that will agree with me. It's like, you know what, right? You're Rob. You're, you're, you know what, Rob? You're, you're right and they're wrong. You're the victim here. It's like, sure. Uh, the officer gave you a ticket, you know, for going 70 and a 55, but he should have let you go. It's like, yeah, I know what, you're right. Yeah, I feel better about these things. And we do this with scripture too. It's like, yeah, you know what, if, if John, Paul, and Luke, and some of these guys were alive today, I think they would have wrote something different in the New Testament. You know, I think that the Bible would look differently today. Are you in this camp that you're willing to agree with Jesus, but only when he agrees with you? Uh, you see, seeing Jesus as an authority is, is so much more difficult. Seeing Jesus as an authority says, I agree with Jesus even when he disagrees with me. Guys, 15, I loved playing baseball. And I had been working for several summers to try out on this travel team. And I knew that this travel team uh, would get me in front of uh, college scouts. And I made the team and I was stoked. Uh, Might have been 16, 15 or 16. I don't know. I'm getting up in my years. But nonetheless, I made the team and I was pumped. But I didn't just do that travel team. I had a summer ball team, which was local. Nothing on the line. It was just for fun. And at this one particular game, I was playing some friends on the other side of the team and pride settled in. And I was you know, determined to win. Coach came out to the mound. I was pitching. He said, it's time to come out. You've thrown a lot of pitches. And I said, no. The only way we're winning this game is if you keep me in the game. And so he was a young coach. I said, oh, okay. You know, I wasn't going to let him tell me what I should do. Right? Even though when I would go back to the bench in between innings, I've got icy hot and popping Tylenol just to get through the game. Well, I from that moment on, my arm has never been the same. I did physical therapy, all the things, you know. Just, it never recovered. Even to the day when I throw a baseball, that painful reminder shoots through my arm of that conversation that I had with my coach. And not willing to trust his authority, even though I disagreed with him. Yeah, sure, I disagree with him, but I should have said, you know what, you're the coach. I need to, to listen to what you have to say. Now, we can all look back into our high school years and say, well, we've all got those moments. What's the big deal? Here's the problem. We're always in a state of foolishness. We just don't recognize it in the moment. I'll prove it to you. When you are in your 40s, it's easy to look back at your 30s and say, I could do that again. 
That was a bad decision. But in the moment, you would not have said, this is foolish. You would have said, you're right. You know, because be, <laughs> being wrong, right, feels the same as being right. And if you look at your 50s, you look back at your 40s and, oh, yeah, that was foolish. Right? So there are things in our life where it's like, I chose not to submit to this authority. or I chose not to, to follow on this wisdom. But when it comes to faith in Jesus and seeing Jesus as an authority, Here's what pastor and author Tim Keller says. He says, the mark of a God-changed heart is that you love for God to tell you how you should live. You love it. You say, God, I'm inviting you in. You can tell me what I can do with my money. You can tell me what to do with my relationship. You can tell me what to do with my time. And I'm going to do it. And regardless of where you're at in your journey with Jesus, maybe it's the first day you're walking with him or maybe you've been walking with him for 30 years, there's always a next step. There's always something in your life where you're refusing to see Jesus as an authority and always another growth area for you. And so let me help you identify what that might look like this week as you drive home from school with the kids or dinner time around the table or hanging out at the coffee shop with some other people that you trust. Maybe you engage in this conversation. Here's the first thing. You're going to identify the garbage in your life. James calls it all of the, the moral uh, filth and the evil that's so prevalent. And here's how you do it. Okay, how would you fill in the blank? I don't trust Jesus to tell me how to what? And if you're still stuck, find the slow burn in your life. Find that source of anger that's slowly boiling, the steam's rising, the kettle is whistling, okay? Start there, okay? And you're probably going to find a gap in your life where you're struggling to see Jesus as an authority. Identify that garbage in your life, and then that's where the no comes. You got to know the word, right? You got to know what it says, and then the doing comes. It's to throw it out. Say, you know what? I'm going to get rid of this. It's getting in the way of, of, of Jesus and the freedom and the love that he wants me to have. It's, it's knowing the word and doing the word. I'm going to get rid of it. Not just some of it, but, but all of it. And so, you know, knowing the word is important. That's why we push classes and groups and, and Bible studies and discipleship. I encourage you to download apps and audio Bibles so that you can know the word. But then we don't just know the word. We humbly accept the word and we do what it says. Identify the garbage and throw it out. Find that slow burn, identify it, and do business with Jesus. But here's the question. You know, okay, what if you're in the camp of struggling to see Jesus as an authority? See, here's where we started. We started with talking about some of life's biggest questions. You know, where did it all come from? Does my life have meaning and purpose? How should I live my life and what happens when I die? But why should I trust what Jesus has to say about these issues? There's a lot of options out there. There's a lot of people and philosophy and religions and coaches and mentors and friends, co-workers, talk show hosts that all are vying to be an authority in your life. But let's consider some of the alternatives. There's the autonomous authority, the anonymous authority, and the authentic authority. Let's start with the autonomous authority. This is the authority of our time. You do you. Uh, you go with your truth do whatever you want, just don't hurt anyone, and don't get in the way of my truth. This is what current cultural conversations promote. The problem with this is that it's a myth, it's a lie. That's not how it actually plays out. Instead, what we all experience is more of an anonymous authority. Many people today, myself included, are fearful to talk honestly and openly, because if you know 
what I might believe or think, and it's in conflict with what you believe or think, and we're talking about matters of morality and how we should live our life, if there's conflict and my viewpoint does not match the majority, then you can put money on it that scrutiny and shame will follow. You don't know when it's coming or where it's coming from. You just know it's coming. Because if you're not in the majority, if you're not you know, going downstream with what everybody else is talking about and you're trying to paddle upstream, then shame's going to come. They're going to call you out. People are being judged for things they said decades ago. It's like, wow, you know, weren't we all foolish in our, in our 20s and now you're bringing that up? Yeah, I would have said things differently. Or, you know, people are being shamed by, for what they choose to, to put in their body or, or not put in their body. This whole idea of being your own authority is a hollow mantra. It's never worked that way. You know, this, for generations, for years, older generations have judged the younger generation by a perceived perception of what morality should look like. This is how you should live your life. And then the younger generations have always looked to the old generations and said, you got to evolve, man. Things, times have changed. So the idea of you being your own authority, it's never worked. It's always been in conflict. You see, what we really need is this. What we need is an authentic authority. An authentic authority. You see, Jesus, the way that he leads and the way that he loves, is the real deal. There's a story of, of when Jesus was coming down the mountainside and there was a leper. And instead of just praying for this man to be healed, he physically touched him. And when he chose to physically touch him, he broke all of the, the borders and laws of society. You know, during that time, there was clean and unclean. You know, concentration camps, you know, we send them over in that direction and, and don't interact with them. They can just, you know, be in their own little hub and community and then the rest of us will be over here. You know, that's unsafe. This is safe. Jesus broke those barriers. You see, what Jesus chose to do is Jesus touched the untouchable. And there's another story where, where Jesus dined with the detested. You know, remember the story of a, a Zac, Zacchaeus, if you grew up in, in church in Sunday school, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. But he was the scum. He was, he was hated. He was a tax collector. And Jesus met with him. He dined with him. And we, he didn't lead with the ABCs. Listen, Zacchaeus, this is what you need to do. You need to admit you, you, you believe and you commit and then we can hang out. No, Jesus was 100% accepting of Zacchaeus. He was fully aware of the sin in his life, and that didn't stop him from doing life with him. But to be clear, he was 100% accepting. He just wasn't 100% affirming. Were there things in his life that he disagreed with him in terms of how he was making decisions? Absolutely. You see, we can be 100% accepting, but it doesn't mean that we need to be 100% affirming when it comes to morality and how we choose to live our lives. There's going to be difference. If Jesus is my authority, how I choose to live my life is going to look different than you if Jesus is not your authority. But we can still do life together, and Jesus modeled this. Jesus touched the untouchable. Jesus dined with the detested. Why? Because Jesus' love transcends. The love of Jesus is what separates the message of Christianity from all of the other options out there, from all of the religions. See, the message of Christianity is that God can't love you any more or less, no matter what you choose to do or not do. Imagine with me, if you can, a parent-child dynamic that looks like this. You know, listen, listen, son, I, I love you. You know what? No, I don't love you. You know what? I might love you. you know, my love can be yours if. I might love you. You see, I've got this list, son. And if you do everything on the list, then my love is yours. But you better perform well. 
That's horrific. Nobody wants, no one should parent that way, okay, first of all. And nobody wants to be parented that way. And I want you to know, that's not how Jesus thinks. That's not how he feels. And that's not what he says. You see, the scriptures tell us that we love because Jesus first loved us. He wasn't 100% affirming of our life, but he was accepting. He says, come, you don't have to worry about getting your life all figured out first. Just come. I I want you to experience and sit in my love. Don't miss this. You see, when it comes to the, the way that Jesus rules in our life as Christians, we work from his love, not for his love. We can't earn his love, and because we can't earn his love, we can't unearn his love, and we can't lose his love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And this is the type of authority that I want to be ruled by in my life. And this is the type of authority that if you haven't experienced it, I want you to be ruled by. But it's a choice. Jesus can be your accessory, or Jesus can be your authority, but he can't be both. We can't simply just know the word like it's an option. We've got to also do the word. Imagine with me, if you can, what your life might look like if you were slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry. James says it's possible, but it starts with humbly accepting the word. James says it's so powerful that it can save you. It can bring you back from the dead. It can restore you. It can give you new life, new hope, new freedom. But it starts with making Jesus the authority in your life. It starts with saying, I believe that Christ died on the cross for my sins, that he was buried and he rose again. And I believe that from this day forward, I am committed to following Jesus and Jesus alone. But I'm not just going to know that. I'm going to live out the love of Jesus. Know God, love God, love his people. That's what I'm committed to. That's what it means when we say Jesus is my authority so much more than just another accessory. Today, we're going to respond through offering. And I want to say thank you to so many people that give generously to the ministry of Eastern Hills. If Jesus is not the authority in your life and you're watching today and you're still trying to figure out where you're at with Jesus, I wouldn't expect you to give today. It wouldn't make sense for you to give today because Jesus is an authority in your life. But if he is, and you're a Christ follower, today is an opportunity to humbly accept what Jesus has to say about wealth. He said you cannot serve both wealth and money. And so when we have a moment of offering, what we're doing is we're worshiping God with what he first gave us. And so I want to ask you to close your eyes, and I want you to reflect on something that the Apostle Paul said. And then we're going to pray. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. He says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, with with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we give this offering this week. Those that choose to give online or on site, we give this to you as a demonstration of saying, you're the authority. We trust you to 
speak into our life and how we should use our finances. Father, today we ask that you would give us the courage and strength to do the word, not just know it, but to humbly accept it and to do what it says because it's a message that saves. Like Paul and James are saying, it's, it's powerful. This is the power that, that transforms lives. This is the power that restores, that protects, that heals, that, that does miracles, that, that brings dead people back to life. This is the power that gives us freedom and hope and insight when the world seems so bleak, God. So help us to not just see it as another accessory in our life. Help us to see it as the authority in our life, Lord. Pray these things in the power of your son, Christ Jesus' name. Well, thanks for listening today. And before we end service, let's continue in a posture and a time of worship through song. Here's, here's the team. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.